Hello, fellow Redbirds. Welcome to Bird Fans Forever podcast number 41. Please follow us on our at Bird Fans Forever Twitter account to be notified of our latest podcast videos and participate in our fun polls. Also, go visit our website, www.birdfansforever.com, where you can find a list of our previous podcasts. If you haven't already done so, go visit Bird Fans Forever on YouTube and slam dunk that subscribe button. YouTube has our archive of classic Redbird games that we've accumulated thanks to so many Redbird fans who've been kind enough to share their video libraries with us. We're still adding to the list of online games, and fans can go there and find an old game to watch. The good game to catch is the 1990 MVC semifinal game versus Creighton. You can watch Illinois State smack around future coach Porter Moser. Our guest today was Director of Sports Information for Illinois State University from 1979 to 2006. Since then, he's been teaching public relations and sports communication for the School of Communications at ISU. We'll be right back with Tom LaMonica. And if anybody knows where Pemberton is, tell him to get his ass back here because we're ready to start the podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Bird Fans Forever. Our guest today is Tom LaMonica. He was my SID when I played at Illinois State. He was the SID from, at Illinois State from 1997 to 2006. Currently today, he is a professor for public relations, sports communication, and runs the internship. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. This is awesome. I've been around. Tom was a lifesaver when I was playing. Now, Steve had a smart aleck comment he wanted to make here, so insert Steve. So if everyone feels inspired to see Tom in person, he has, has office hours in Fell, Monday and Wednesday, 2 to 4, and Tuesday, Thursday, 9 to 10.30. Make sure you visit Tom, but make an appointment, please. I, thanks, Steve. I, I didn't have to pay for that commercial, but I always like students to come and visit me, and, and maybe the few more will now. Yeah. Thanks. There you go. <laughs> that is awesome. So, Tom, like we always do, how'd you get to Illinois State? How'd I get to Illinois State? Well, there are three people that are responsible for me getting to Illinois State, and they're all well-known individuals. Um, Duffy Bass, the baseball coach, contacted me about the job being open. Um, and uh, I, re I succeeded a, a legend and a Hall of Famer, uh, Roger Cushman, who uh, made helped Doug Collins become Doug Collins the sensation. Um, and uh, uh, Duffy alerted me to the job and, and, and kind of advanced me in the athletic side of it. But in those days, the, the job uh, operated out of university communication. Uh, where Roger Cushman was, but the two guys that really helped me the most early on were Art Kimball, our broadcaster, and, and Roger Cushman. Uh, I had great mentors when I first came to Illinois State. I needed them because I think I had just turned 27 years old, uh, so I wasn't ready for a jump up into this. But one of the things that was happening, 79 80, my first year, 1980 was the year that we applied to get into and were received into the Missouri Valley Conference. So that was, to me, that was very important because I felt like Illinois State needed to be in a good conference to have its programs advance. And, and uh, certainly the Missouri Valley has been sensational for us. Football would have been in gateway still, correct? Or... I don't know when the gateway actually technically well, started. The gateway started in 84, I believe. Okay, okay. So but it was independent before that, and again, that was a huge struggle, hard to schedule. Yeah. Uh, 
and and a declining number of independents. So, the, but the gateway was a godsend for football, uh, getting us with like. So we played Valley football for about three or four years, and then the gateway started, and that became the uh, you know what's now the FCS. Right, right, right. Uh, it's been good for us. So, Tom, did you know Duffy Bass? Like, was there a very well? There, Duffy Bass is like a family member. Um, I would be on a road trip with basketball, and my wife would be home with our kids who were were very young at the time, um, and. He would show up at 5 o'clock with a pizza at the door and say, Hey, Claire, I, I got dinner for you. I know Tommy's not around, but you don't need him. Here's the dinner. And if you know Coach Bass, that's, that's just typical Coach Bass. Um, but he was, he was very good to us and, uh, um, and, and re- very supportive. Awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. All right, so my first question out of the gate is this. Right. We, you were my SID. Yes. You were SID during that time for football. In 1990, you then move over and become SID for the women's basketball and women's volleyball. Yes. So before we get into that question, I actually jump forward one. Here's the dyslexic part. Yes, I blew it. <laughs> what does an SID, I came back to my question, I saved the day, and I'll just cut this part out so you don't see John being an idiot. Um, but... Um, what does an SID do? What does an SID do? Okay, SID is actually a kind of a, a declining,ly popular term. They're sports communicators, and what what SIDs do, what sports communicators do, is advance the message and the brand of the sports organization, college, in the case of Illinois State. Um, try to put the best foot forward, the best face forward, the best voice forward for your student athletes, your coaches, to capitalize and maximize on anything that you can to get good, a good, strong story out there. Um, Shane Zenger, who was my last athletic director before I retired, and a, a very sharp guy, uh, I asked him at one point, what do you think my job is? It was a dangerous question because Shane's master's degree is in communication leadership. and But he came back with, your job is to tell our story better than anybody else and I think that's the best way to do to describe it uh, Mike Williams uh, and his operation he has tremendous staff uh, one of the best operations in the country at Illinois State right now but now they deal with social media they advance things through the internet uh, you know it's kind of like this John I mean people used to have to be on radio or TV to get this kind of uh, programming out there and you're doing it now Your, mic, your mic's out, John. The university censors know who you are, John. <laughs> well, I'm glad you worked it out, and I appreciate you guys helping him out because we know John needs a lot of help. Yeah. So, so Tom, in, in the 80s, so there wasn't tons of social media. Were you there also to, like, help the players, you know, improve in communication, coach the coaches? Yeah. Was that part of the... Yes, I mean, there was coaching involved, especially with student-athletes, because in my experience, there were student-athletes who really enjoyed playing, really good at their job of playing, but 
you put a microphone in front of him, you know, you send big pimps to the free throw line to, to shoot two free throws to tie the game at the end of the game, he doesn't even break out of sweat. But afterwards, you say, hey, you gotta you got to go to the press room and talk to the media. He's like, about what? <laughs> but you, you work with him, you know, and not necessarily right after a game. But one of the things that uh, Coach Donawald struggled with that, and I don't think I'm telling a story out of school here, but he really struggled with bringing himself down from, you know, the emotional uh, high that he would be at during the game to answer questions after the game. Plus, he was the kind of person who thought, you know, if it's a mundane question or a typical question or a question you'd expect to hear, um, that it wasn't a good question. And we we worked through that a little bit, but what he did to deal with the the anxiety that he brought to the press room was he would get himself into a closet or a, a stall in a restroom or something like that and just take a minute to clear his mind and think about what they're going to ask him and then go in. And after he started doing that, he was a lot more relaxed. And I think there were, you know, I, I think he kind of grew to enjoy the exchanges that happened after the game. Uh, whether it was on radio or or it was in the press room, so that's kind of a story of, of what how you, how you have to coach a coach, but the student athletes for some of it comes naturally, and for others you know they get tense, yeah. and and you have to get them to relax and just say look this is this is not as hard as playing. Um, ironically, I'm not a big fan of me being in front of this is tough for me being in front of my job was to get you. John Pemberton in front of that camera, not me. <laughs> and the funny thing was, my freshman year, I am going to get my freshman sophomore year, my redshirt year. I'm going to be get pulled away from the team anytime we're on the road and out to eat at a meal, a nice meal. I will go sit over with um, Dick Ludke, Tom Lamonica across from me, and uh, Keith. Little did I know they were asking me questions to get me because I didn't talk to anybody my freshman year. I mean, I didn't even talk to yeah. Sonny. And so, um, but they didn't need me in front of a camera because we had Derek Sanders, we had William Anderson, we had Jeff and Matt who could talk all day, right? So those were the ones going to do all those interviews those first two years. But then after that, right? So um, there was a method to the madness at times, which was very, it was kind of cool to see. Now that I'm older and can look back and see what the heck was happening. Um, well, you, you did make a lot of progress, and, and this is the measurement that I had in those days about this. Oh, no. Seriously, no, you were okay with going in after we lost. Yeah. You would go in after we lost, after a tough loss, and you would be calm with it and not, you know, just kind of clam up or, you know, I had to make sure that you, you weren't going to displace my shoulder or something <laughs> like that. Um, because I asked you to, but to me, that's always the mark of somebody who came a long way. Yeah, your yeah. freshman year, I, I don't know if you talked to anybody. You said anybody you talked to Sonny. I didn't even talk to Sonny. No. Wait till Sonny comes on. He's got three episodes to go. Sonny, you're being warned right here on the podcast because I know he listens. Him and Gerard. Three, Sonny. Because um, episode 44 is going to be my boy, Sonny. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk at all. I didn't talk to anybody. I was next to William in the locker room, and he was a godsend every day after practice. He's like, "Big pimp, you're gonna you're gonna be good. You're gonna lead this. You're gonna get it done. Just don't give up, right?" And yeah. so, 
there are guys that he's William Anderson, the Reverend. He he was a guy that you can't measure his contributions by the amount of no. time he played. Yeah. yeah, you know he was he was the guy who kept things calm and kept people together and and kept guys on track. Yeah, he so. was he was amazing. So, all right. So next question. I want to make sure I didn't hit the. We're in the same room, so this is the first time doing the podcast this way. So we're there's will be some technical difficulties. We'll figure that out. Next question. The one I originally asked, and then should realize I shouldn't have asked, and that is your SID for men's basketball, your SID for football, your SID for women's basketball and volleyball. Talk about the differences, because being an SID for football and basketball, men's basketball, is a lot different than you people would think. Yeah, I, I've got to say football, because you almost always play on Saturday. Right. And it's usually consecutive Saturdays in the fall. Football was really good because you could have a rhythm. You know, you were throughout the season, you were going to do these things on Sunday and these things on Monday and these things on Tuesday to be prepared. The preparation is different than we didn't have computers. We right. had to use, uh, uh, you know, the U.S. mail and, uh, um, you know, pretty rudimentary fax machines, yeah. predecessors to fax machines. But basketball is kind of the same for both and volleyball is a little like basketball in terms of you have to get ready for multiple games at once did not want to talk didn't want to talk that it wasn't about that for them and to be fair until probably the 90s or later you know the foothold of the mass media wasn't as big right and so you didn't really grow up with that. And coaches didn't grow up with that either. Oh, uh, agreed, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, the, the late, great Ray Meyer, who was a hero of mine when I was a kid growing up in Chicagoland, told me one time late in his career, he goes, this was so much easier before you had those TV cameras everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He said, you could just coach your game. He goes, I could go out to dinner with my wife after a game. And he's, we're talking after the game. He goes, here I am. It's like 45 minutes after the game's over. And I'm just finishing answering questions. So that part of it changed. Yeah, but yeah. Coaches understand. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting or cool thing is um, in the NCAA game, you come grab me as I'm getting ready to go into the locker room to go beyond WJBC, right, and do T- Bender and, and – um, Drod does TV with CBS and I do JBC and um, it was a good way to end my career right as, as far as I'd come and, and it's a tribute to what you guys did and helped us be prepared for that now let's talk about the NCAA game we're going to just peel into that one because that's the that's the episode yeah, was... for um, Lucky's Rewind and the fact that they could not get any of our names right. So at that first media timeout, the rumor is, or the story we like to tell, whether it's true or not, that they had got you over to start working on, like, pronunciations because they didn't know any of us and had not done any of their preparation. They thought it was going to be a 35-point blowout. Well, here's what happened. You know, that, at that NCAA tournament, 1990, changed some things for CBS and for the NCAA. The first – and, and it – a lot of it focused on the fact that Illinois State played Michigan in Long Beach, California. That was number one. Like, why are these teams going way out here? Families can't come. Their fans can't see it. And so that's when they started, I think two years after that, they started breaking up the brackets and sending schools 
to places closer to their 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 home base. Um, the second thing was CBS. So CBS had two sets of broadcasters. There were two guys from California that had not seen either team all year. That was one set. And then the other set was Quinn Buckner and I can't remember who the play-by-play guy was. They did the Loyola Marymount game, right? Those two guys, Quinn Buckner, of course, from Chicago, played at Indiana. Yeah. Those guys were familiar with the Midwest, familiar with Michigan, knew who we were. But for some reason, the, the for some reason the CBS people put the West Coast announcers on our game and put the 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 Midwest guys on the other game, and now they try to do that. You know, they they do ask the announcers to you know they take into consideration what teams they have seen. Okay. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those two things that 1990 tournament. Um, made a, a big difference so uh, we um i ended up uh, editing up that game and we have it uh and we'll post a link to it when we get this episode up but it says three times they're like and michigan and the university of illinois will just not go away <laughs> and it's like what? Yeah. What? well you know what? i mean could you you could have called i mean the yeah. worst thing you could have said is Bradley wouldn't go away. I mean, that would have been the worst thing they could have said. But, I mean, come on. I mean, and then they're calling us all kinds of names, right? They couldn't get our names right. Yeah. So, yeah. I, they weren't terribly prepared. I, I had breakfast that morning yeah. with, the, with the play-by-play guy, and he spent most of the time telling me that, you know, he really didn't know anything about either team. And, <laughs> and he, so he was kind of talking about what he wanted to talk about. But that's one of those things that people yeah. in my job, um, I learned early on that, in, in, in the, as an SID, as a communications person, you can't have any impact on who wins the game. Right, right. But when it's on TV, you can have a huge impact on who wins the broadcast. And that's working with, uh, with the broadcasters, the, right. the people that you see, the talent, as well as the production people. And, and all of those little stories that, that are so prevalent on TV broadcasts these days, those come from the hardworking people behind the scenes yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who do that. And, and I always felt like, you know, that was an opportunity to show what's great about Illinois State. Yeah. So, Tom, we're talking in the 80s, you worked closely with, with marketing. And you said there was uh, uh, some good promotions, right? The best promotion oh, yeah. in basketball, right? You'll tell us what that was. But then maybe you'll tell us a little story about a, a not-so-successful su- uh, football promotion. We had some successful promotions and some unsuccessful promotions. And anybody in marketing, and I was more the PR than the marketing, Brian Faison, who was at Illinois State from 79, I believe, to 86, was... Uh, um, and subsequently was an athletic director at four Division One institutions. Um, he was kind of my partner. We had small, fewer staff members then, but we did kind of all the external stuff and worked closely together. And we had a, we were trying to set up promotions to support football. Football hadn't been very successful, and we're trying to get more people in in the stands. Of course, a bigger facility than Horton at the time. So we got the Ace Hardware um, manager owner to get involved and he said well I want to do a giveaway and we said okay great um, what would you like to give away and he said well I've got like 3,000 yardsticks and he said it's football right we can give away the yardsticks and like sold we were really happy to get a partner doing anything in those days and we like, hey this is great well 
comes the day of the Ace Hardware Extra Yard Day at Hancock Stadium, and one of our oldest and most supportive fans uh, was walking up the aisle, and apparently some student had one of those yardsticks and kind of gave her a little whack on the back of the dress. And um, on Monday, <laughs> Brian Faison and I were in the vice president's office, and before we went in there, we shook hands and said, what's really nice, because when we come out of this meeting, we might not have jobs. So my, I tell that story to students, like, you always have to be careful that nobody can weaponize your promotional material, as in yardsticks. You know, and there was jousting and a lot of other things going on that the, the ushers and the uh, the university police weren't that happy about. But that was that did not go well. But other things were more successful. And, of course, basketball, the number one promotion is winning. And in the 80s and the 90s in men's basketball and for most of that time in women's basketball, we won. We won a lot. We won big. We won championships. So um, it wasn't that tough to fill uh, Horton Fieldhouse. Um, which, you know, that I, I was really excited and had a great time, great memories uh, for the Horton game in December, the uh, return to Horton after 30 years. Uh, I really enjoyed that, and I hope they do it again. So I'm going to tell you two, two basketball promotions that I, that I like and I remember. So first of all, uh, Bradley Buster T-shirts. I'm pissed I can't find mine. I, I had that thing for the longest time. I got bigger, it became like a halter top, but that that was <laughs> it, 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 that was one of my that was my favorite thing. I, I, I still love have that mine. T-shirt. W- yeah. Well, was that the one that said my two favorite teams are Illinois State and whoever's playing Bradley, or was no, it just it, a Bradley Buster? It had Dick Versace's picture head yes. on there, right? And then yeah. like the Ghostbusters symbol going through it. Yeah, and it said Bradley Busters. So that yeah. one, and then. Uh, I'm still pissed. Like I bought a program almost every time. I never got one that was signed by Denison Ford, and I know I would have, I would have, I would have made that half court shot. But anyways, you would have. Yeah, you know, everybody thinks they've got a good shot at that half court shot, and the best, yes. And I got to tell you, the best half court shooter I ever saw or worked with was not on any sports team at Illinois State. It was Kathy Schneidwind who was the head athletic trainer, and when I worked with women's basketball, she could make that shot, like, by by three or four every game, every practice. They'd finish that up with shooting half-court shots, and she'd always win. She was so, money. Yeah, five-foot-one athletic trainer. Go ahead. So, so, so talk about that team, the 89-90 season. You know, it, it started off a little slow, right? A lot it slow. Had- <laughs> a lot slow. They turned five the and nine. <laughs> five and nine is pretty slow. I'm gonna get you off the hook here if you let me. Thanks, Pabs. You're a good man. After that five and nine, I believe the ninth loss was at Creighton. Correct? And I believe we flew home and the players had a meeting in the locker room, which rumor has it that a bunch of them went out to breakfast. Um, when the sun came up, and after that, of course, I think we were 12 out of 15, 12 of the next 15, and and we were just a different team. So that was one heck of a team meeting. Um, I think it probably got set up by the fact that while we were at Creighton, after the game was over, at some point, 
the players were all in the locker room. The coaching staff was outside the locker room. And Ruben Arjona, great guy, was our athletic trainer. All of a sudden, I look over, and Ruben's getting pushed out the door, and the door is slamming behind him. So I think the meeting actually started in <laughs> Omaha, but perhaps I'll let you, what, what happened in that meeting? How'd that meeting go? I, I'm, I'm going to get you off the hook here. You weren't one of the fisticuffs guy, because, of course, if that had happened, it would have been a short meeting. We, that was a great that was a great game. We had the Oregon crowd, and there were many of them there. They were very scared. Right. And they're not the it's not like Northwestern, right? Who's at the bottom of the thing. No, no. <laughs> These are <laughs> they, they they were good opponents, yeah. but what the mindset was in those days and I, again, I'm not I'm not banging on anybody no, since no. then, but in the 80s, we played those teams. Yes. You know, and and we and we won more than our share, so the expectations plus, you know, people really believed that that the team the year before could have done better um, and the coaching change was made and I think that it took a while I seriously think it took a while for you guys to adjust to a different coaching style and it all worked out fine because we were really good at the time of year that you really need to be good you know and it wasn't like we had all American players we had some good guys all conference guys but we when I talk to people who played against those teams, you know, they talk about stuff like, yeah, you couldn't cut the lane. Those big guys were ready for you. And, man, they deed you up. And, geez, Randy Blair, I still feel like he's on my hip. You know, and, and Coleman could score from any place. And, of course, Ricky Jackson, unlimited range. Uh, Fowler, again, a tough guy. Uh, so that was it was hard to play us because – we had tough, tough-minded guys, and I felt like we played the way we needed to defensively, but the offense kind of came along. I think when Ricky decided, or when they decided, hey, Ricky, shoot, yeah. that made a difference. Before the three-point shot became a big thing, they said, if people said, if you can win the turnover battle and you can win the boards, you can win. And that's that team is a perfect example of that. Um, and I, but I did not remember that our opponents shot six six percent better. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but we were. I mean, there were some teams that we just absolutely hammered on the offensive boards, and that was I think that was a big thing too. And again, that offensive rebounding even today they say, well, it's all toughness. That that team of course played at Redbird Arena for the tournament. That had been a predetermined site, um, and it was the last uh, at, uh, Missouri Valley Conference tournament played on a campus site. Um, everyone since has been in, in St. Louis, um, and the the victory over Southern Illinois. You got to tip your hat to Southern <laughs> Illinois. Wow, what a team! And yeah. unless you were playing Illinois State in that building on that day, they probably would have won. That Creighton team is full of Hall of Famers, Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Famers. Not only Hall of Famers in their own university, they're Conference Hall of Famers, too. That Creighton team wins the year before and the win the year after with Harstead and Gallagher. Those are two Hall of Fame Valley Tournament teams, or Valley Conference Tournament teams. And and, uh, 
Tony Baroni, certainly one of the best coaches I think I ever knew. The yeah. Great Tony yeah. Baroni uh, in college and then in the in the NBA. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, Creighton was good. They were tough. They had uh, two first-team All-Conference guys for like three years: Chad Gallagher and 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 Bob Harstead. Um, Porter Moser. Porter they had all. Mo- Porter, Porter could shoot. Porter could shoot. Porter could shoot. And, and Porter was a guy who'd stick his face in there, you know, and and he might have something to say about it later. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, but they the, the league was really strong then, and and we managed to win it. We won that game against Southern Illinois. It was it was a great celebration, um, of which I think everybody that was in Redbird Arena and. I'm sure there were probably somewhere north of 11,000 people in there. We just kind of, you had to, it's like Horton. At some point, you have to stop counting because the fire marshal would would tell us, okay, look at Horton and say, this is how many people you can have. Any more than that, you really don't have room for them. But don't let me hear you announce any more than, and I think it was 82, 88 was, was the limit, the last limit that they put on Horton. Really? But, uh, yeah, Redbird Arena, I don't think I've ever seen it more crowded than, than that day. Um, but just a, just a great day and a great Redbird team um, that, that moved on. And, and Doug Elgin, who is, was the longtime commissioner, just retired last year of the Missouri Valley and, and a good friend. Um, Doug, I saw Doug afterwards, and I knew him because he'd been an SID. And I said, Doug. How in the world can you believe that St. Louis can top this? Yeah. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Tommy, either this is going to work for the, over the next three or four years, or you're going to have this conversation with another commissioner. Because <laughs> <laughs> I pushed all the chips on the table on this. He yeah. said, I know, it's a hard sell, but I think, I think Illinois State fans will come to St. Louis and they'll have a good experience. Yeah. And it will be a fair tournament because it's – yeah, so, yeah. I mean, one of the last women's tournaments on campus was at Redbird Arena in 2005. Jackie McCormick. We have that on the. We have that game, and they go and play Baylor, right? So. Yep. Yep. I mean, that was a team that finished eighth in the conference and beat three teams in Redbird Arena in three days that had all beaten us badly twice yeah. during the season. So the home court makes a difference. Um, you know, you've, you've been to St. Louis, so you know what the, the neutral site is like and what a wonderful job the Valley does with that. And, and it's just it's fun for me to be part of that, part of the women's tournament uh, every year. Yeah, uh, and there's yeah, a whole yeah. – there's an army of people who gather in in St. Louis and then in, in Moline the next week for the women to support yeah. those conference tournaments. Yeah, yeah. And then when you talk about the home and home, my freshman year was at Tulsa. So we played that whole tournament down at Tulsa. The next year, I don't remember, we were at, where were we at? The first Bradley. game was at home. No, that was the 88 year was at Bradley. Okay. And then the 87 year was at Wichita State. But then that 86 season, 85, 86, 86, 87 season, it was, um, first game was at home. And then you that night you flew, if you won, you either went home or you flew and I think it was at Creighton, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and we I took did. off, went to went to Creighton to play the next two rounds. And of course, we lost. And then, yeah. and um, but then that eighty was in Peoria. We played all three games there in Peoria. Um, and then we we got a. And of course, we're on the bubble in that eighty eight season, and we have four seniors 
And then, but, I mean, it was at Bradley. They come out and hit the first 10 shots. Game's over in, like, the yeah. first nine minutes, and, and it's just a, it's a route basically the we, rest of the way. We joined the large ranks of people in NCAA basketball who got herseyed. Percy yeah. Hawkins, yeah. what a great player, what a great guy. He's a great um, human being. He was yeah. a great human being, um, but he was just, when it came to clutch time or it came to any time, you just weren't going to beat this guy. No, no, no. You know, um, yeah. yeah. They came out of that gate, and and our seniors missed a couple early, and we just could never get that returned well, again, around. As many people as we had in yeah. Peoria, Bradley had more oh, God, because yes. they controlled the tickets. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, we initially the only allotment we got the same allotment as as Southern Illinois. Right, right. You know, so but that yeah, the tournament stuff is fun. Uh, it's fun to get a chance to work with younger coaches and see old friends and, yeah. and work with the student athletes. Uh, All right, so pity party, me. The DePaul game, right? We we laugh about this. Now remember, the DePaul game is the second last game at Horton Fieldhouse. Butler was the first last game at Horton Fieldhouse, and now SAUE was the third last game at Horton Fieldhouse. So at some point, we're just going to say it's not the last game and just call it a game at Horton Fieldhouse. Um, but this is one that people remember, and the reason they remember it is this. I, I'll describe this as, as, as um, objectively as I can. Uh, I believe it was Andy Laux shot a jump shot from the right baseline, and the ball hit the rim, went over. Ricky Jackson right. was, was holding off with his arms out, legally holding off a DePaul player from rescuing the ball. The ball bounced out of bounds, and it was DePaul ball. Yes. That's number problem number one. Problem number two was the... DePaul inbounded the ball, and uh, Terrence Green um, caught the pass, and by video recount is in front of the three-point line, one foot in front of the three-point line, the other one on the three-point line. He hits the shot over over John Pemberton, which, you know, T was about Terrence Green was maybe six four, yeah. so he had to yeah. he had to arc that a little bit, but it came down and it went in and the game was over, and it was a DePaul victory by one point. Well, my experience with that game was a little different than a lot of other people's. Yeah, yeah. we had the full contingent of Chicago media in Horton Fieldhouse, partly because you know it was the end of Horton Fieldhouse, um, but that that had a lot of media there. And so what we had to do, and what you have to do in this case, is you have to find a reporter, one, to go and speak to the officials and get their side of the story. Well, I have some experience officiating. I was a baseball umpire for many years, and I always said that at my place, the the, the, the pool reporter was going to be me. Because I knew, I mean, I knew how officials felt after a game and, and how you felt when people ask you questions. So I went down to the officials' locker room and knocked on the door, and they said, yeah, what, what you need, Tom, come on in. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I'm going to write down your answers. Then I'm going to read the questions and your answers back to you. And when you're okay with it, I'm going to go back up to the press box and, and, and distribute this to people about the game. And one of the officials put his hand up, and he goes, before we do this, I want to know 
are we screwed? He might have used a stronger word. <laughs> and I didn't know how to answer that. But the look on my face, the other, the both of them looked at each other and said, this is bad. Something bad happened. So I asked the questions, and that's so that's my memory of, of how that game went. There wasn't anything that could be done about it. No, no, um, it, there's no re- there's no replay, no replay. And, and this, but this was a game that people, even not DePaul and not Illinois State people, when they were talking about developing a replay system, this was a game they brought up. They said, "Hey, this could have meant an NCAA tournament." bid for this team or you know yeah, or, yeah. or a postseason and and the, the the mistake was egregious and these were i want to say i would not say their names but these were good officials yeah these were guys that just had a bad moment there's no good officials ever right they all caught way too many fouls on me so they were all bad in my book right there's no way i averaged 4.5 fouls through my 127 games I want to quote the late, great Doc Keith. The first time John Pemberton scored in double figures, Doc Keith said, Pemberton in double figures? I didn't figure that it happened until they started allowing 10 fouls. Gotcha. Gotcha, big Pemberton. That's a, that's a true so, statement. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but you had your good games offensively. You did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that was the DePaul game. Uh, not a great, happy memory. Um, there are other games that are, of course, more fun to remember. Yeah. Um, the uh, you brought up another. We're going to talk about the Tulsa game. The Tulsa game. Now that's not a good memory either. We that's had another crappy game, right? <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. Um, we had probably about 22 or 23 people on the the uh, on the trip on the road trip to Tulsa, and I think there were about six of us that weren't sick. And and Where'd two of us. I, I don't think that was it. <laughs> I don't. I think it was just it was a flu that was going around, and it just. I mean, some type of intestinal thing, uh, that that hit the players. It hit the players harder than it hit the staff. Um, there might have been one or two players that didn't have it, but I don't remember. But there was almost no, no players. Okay. So I don't remember. In the Donawald, uh, Coach Donawald show, I don't know what player it was in, but they talk about this in pretty him and uh, um, uh, oh um, oh the uh, guy who did TV ten uh, who hosted that show. Um, not uh, we just talked about him. Um, Dick Ludke? No, no, no. no he, the TV show, Al Shepston. Al Shepston. Okay. Al Shepston. So it was him and Al Shepston talking about it, and Coach kind of was very good about it saying hey look when these kids are this sick there's nothing i can do right. i can't get them the, literally there's some of them standing trying to wait to get into the bathroom and then it's just running the brown stuff is running down their legs and, and it's then we're trying to help them get cleaned up and you know and, and clean up this broadcast yeah the perspective i mean all you can do is, is say what what happened and I think, you know, I think people were pretty well understanding. I mean, it wasn't like the Tulsa was a bad team either. They were a really good team. You know, and, and but we went out there. And I think at the time it was it was a bigger thing of like, okay, yeah, these guys are pretty tough because they go out there and play sick. And and that's, you know. But we uh, scored like 38 points, which I still it, think it was, is the lowest in modern time, the lowest scored 
game in the last 30 years or whatever. I, I think we had fewer points in the Creighton game. There's that, a victory like 34-31 or something. That's yes, ridiculous that, that, game. that uh, William Anderson won the game with a, a, a shot at the end. Really? And there was a three-point line, you know, it was it was it was just one of those games where nobody could put the ball in the basket. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. but William Anderson did it at the end, and so we went away with a victory. But that's the you're you're right about that. That's the lowest scoring game yeah. I can remember, and that was a game that was so badly played. I think it was 17 to 15 at halftime, and you got Coach Donawald in one locker room, you got Coach Baroni in the other <laughs> locker room, and I'm standing closed doors, concrete block walls. And I'm standing about 15 feet away talking to one of the reporters, and they were like, boy, I don't think I've ever heard, you know, that kind of harmony come out of speakers. <laughs> I mean, both coaches were lit up and letting them know, um, as they as they both did. But uh, but that was that was a game, and the so I, I want to move on to like let's can we talk about the everyone Iowa right so Iowa, yeah, when we yeah, did the All American tournament my sophomore year. The big news is Iowa's going to play us, and Oklahoma's going to play some other scapegoat. Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, and they're going to destroy them. So they're looking for, and you had told me, Iowa and Oklahoma played in the Final Four the year before, and this was now going to be, right, number one versus number five, but they both had to win the game. Unfortunately, we had a different opinion. Well, yes. I mean, the all-college tournament for, for about 50 years was kind of a standard bearer playing there and then the tournament that we played in out on the west coast was was another one that was my senior legendary. year yeah, yeah yeah but the all-college tournament uh, traditionally would have a local team and then bring in two or three uh other powerful schools from other places and i think we signed the contract for that i think going back to maybe when we were still like the 85 ncaa tournament okay. so because they had people lined up for years but yeah. the way it worked out is it was Oklahoma, Iowa, and Oklahoma's played Oral Roberts, and we're playing Iowa. And we're down 16 points to Iowa, and things are not going well, and, and, and people on the bench are not very happy. And Ricky Jackson, a great player and a fun guy, stole a pass yes, and had he did. a wide-open layup in front of him, except he stopped at the three-point line and literally looked over his shoulder at the bench <laughs> and shot it a three-pointer. When that ball was in the air, Coach Donawal was in the air. <laughs> Fortunately, the ball came down in the basket. Coach Donawal came down and turned around and folded his arms. And, okay, I need to cool off here a little bit. And Ricky did the same thing about two minutes later. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's 10, and we're wearing him down. And B.J. Armstrong, the, the NBA All-Star, who was the point guard for Iowa, uh, bows out Matt Taphorn. A big hero in this game drew a charge from yeah. DJ Armstrong when he did for his fifth foul, and that threw them off course a little bit. Um, and we kept fighting and battling. We got back within. Um, what was help me out here, John? What was the score before the last shot? Uh, we were we're up. We're down two. We're down two. We're okay. Down two. We're down two. Yeah. There's just maybe about 20 seconds left, and. Because I'm ahead. in the game. I'm in the game, You're right? The game. So I'm playing this. Uh, so, yep. And, and and Matt Taphorn on the left wing shoots a three-pointer and misses it. And I think we've determined that Sonny got the rebound. Sonny, Sonny Ray got the rebound and was trapped. 
And so somebody called timeout. We still had a timeout left. He did. Called timeout. Not surprised. Yeah. Um, we get a timeout, and we're the team's coming over to the huddle, and I can see Matt going like this, like, I want to do it again, I want to do it again. And the coaches said, we're, we ran the same play. Mm-hmm. And a big, strong guy set a back pick on, I think it was Roy Marble who was supposed to be able to come tell out and cover. B.J. Armstrong, because everybody knows that name. Not that Roy it, wasn't a great player. Your left, he... your left leg's bigger than <laughs> B.J. Armstrong. Set a pick against a big guy. It looks, sounds better. But um, but Matt knocked down that shot, and, and and Iowa was upended, and uh, 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 Davis was the coach at the time. Tom, he could, Davis. Tom Davis was Dr. Tom Davis could have been more gracious. Some of the media were actually kind of either stunned or chagrined that they were going to get their Oklahoma Iowa matchup. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Billy Tubbs coached Iowa in those days, and this was the kind of guy Billy Tubbs was at uh, Oklahoma. Billy Oklahoma. Tubbs, was a, Billy, yeah, yeah. Billy yeah. Tubbs coached Oklahoma at Oklahoma, the time, yeah. and we played Oklahoma the next night. They had four NBA players, and and it, it, I mean, and three of those NBA players were still out there in the last 30 seconds, and I think they won by 40. Press this the whole time, right? Yes. And I broke, that was my job they, to break they, the press, right? So I broke the press against Iowa. Anytime somebody pressed me, that's the games I got to start my sophomore year. And so we're breaking the press. We're getting the ball over. We're just not getting great shots. Right. Now, some of it has to be a little bit of a letdown from beating Iowa and getting prepared. I would say we is, had extended a lot more energy oh, than, than Oklahoma yeah. had the night before against an Oral Roberts team that wasn't really wasn't very good. Second thing is, in Slick Rick's episode, Ricky Johnson, he talks about if we have more than three days to prepare, Coach Donald won like 80% of those games. That's exactly right. We are a team that needs to be prepared for what's coming at us. And if we're not, we're now we're playing, at some level, we're playing a little bit of pickup ball. And some of these guys are just so much more talented. I mean, you can't compare Stacey King and Harvey Grant Horace Harvey Grant, Horace's twin, to John Pemberton, Gerard Coleman, Tony Hollifield, Cliff Peterson. It's just not a fair comparison. Sonny Roberts, right? But, Pemps, you bring up a a really important point that I think we should talk about, about those 80s teams, about those Bob Donawal coach teams. We were so much more completely and thoroughly prepared. Mm -hmm. Our players watched a lot more film in those days than some other teams coaches watched right i remember we played a tournament at marquette this would have been about 81 or 82 and um the marquette coaches invited our coaches we both lost no they won we lost the first day um and our the marquette coaches was hank raymond's at the time and they invited us to go out to dinner with them. And coach said, no, we got to prepare for the game tomorrow. They go, ah, you'll beat those guys. And it's like, they didn't watch any film at all the night before. Our guys are up till 3 or 4 in the morning watching film. You guys get up in the morning, or the players get up in the morning, and they're watching film. So, so much more detail, attention to detail. The coaching really was a huge difference, I think, for Illinois State in those days. And if you look at the talent levels in the Valley, during those first 10 years we were in the Valley, we were not the guys with the draft choices. No, 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 absolutely not. I mean, we were the we were the guys that just you know hard to prepare for. Well, we were very prepared, but as as the as a, a Wichita State SID at the time, who's now the, uh, the athletic director of Kansas State, Casey Scott said, 
the reputation of Illinois State is they're easy. They look like they're easy to play until you get out there. Then you realize that all of a sudden you can't do what you want to do and you can't move where you want to move. And uh, the footwork and the mental approach was so strong with our teams that it made a big difference, I think. I don't think it's any surprise I was slower than just about every other center in the Valley when I played. But I would be in that spot ahead of them because we were so well prepared. I knew where to be, so I was already thinking, uh, you know, this yeah. this action, this action forward, and then I'd get myself over there. So I didn't have to be faster. I just had to think faster, right? And so, yes. and, and so watching watching all that film, you pick up tendencies that uh, that opposing players didn't know. Yeah. When you talk about defense in the post it starts with beating people to the spot right right right, and no you weren't the fastest guy but you got down the court with a purpose and got to that spot and beat that other post to the spot and that would that would immediately disrupt the offense and that was for everybody that was for Gerard and and Sonny and 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 Matt post play I mean the, the, the defenders we had people like Randy Blair were great defensive players when they came, but they became really great yeah. defensive players with all that they learned as uh, as their time at Redbirds. Yeah. So, Tom, just like uh, Bob Donald and his staff, you prepare your students uh, really well. We know that. So we looked into it. We got your syllabus from uh, Sportscom uh, 259. We found out that uh, one of the topics you have here is that you created the uh, template for uh, entering the the transfer portal. So we just want to ask you some questions here. True or false? This is the opening statement that you recommend. First, I want to thank every stinking person I ever met in my life, including my ex-coach, staff, fans, university teammates, mom, God, fathers, cousins. Is that true? Is that the opening statement you go with? Uh, no, <laughs> not a bit. It's it's. You know what? Who? The thing you have to remember about being a college professor, and I learned this at a young age, is that the students will care how much you know when you show how much you care about them. So it's pretty, you can't start a class talking about yourself, and, and they eventually, as stories start to come out, whether they like it or not, but nah, that's, it's, so, so, I don't so think that's, that's the start. No, so that's not a good start. Okay. Next that's thing not I what it should have said. <laughs> okay. Next one, I see, uh, it's been always my dream of playing insert old school. Is that what you do? <laughs> uh, you know what? My dream is to get up tomorrow morning and to continue to be able to, let's see, teach my classes, work with my interns, work with my colleagues, enjoy my life, and hang out with guys like you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my dream. And, and the last thing I see here is, like, you recommend always use, when you sign, the terminology 100% committed. 100% committed. <laughs> well, those those catchphrases, I'm not real big on those, and I have to be careful because one of my teachers at the University of Missouri 50 years ago uh, maybe may listen to this podcast. And, of course, we don't go with the trite. <laughs> And with the repeatable and with the everybody can say this, you know, um, the 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 uh, uh, what's what's the guy in the uh, movie Bull Durham? Uh, Crash Davis, the Crash Crash Davis. Davis. Yeah. Crash Davis lines answers. They they don't work very well. These students are really smart. It hasn't always been the case at Illinois State, 
But these days we get really good smart students. Why are you guys laughing? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't point. I was merely pointing out that boy, I really like the students that we have now. So. Um, we, we need to get some older. of the, We need to get some of those people that go on the transfer portal. Take your class, Tom. Um, yeah, the transfer <laughs> portal is a big point of discussion in in the sports class because people have different seriously have different perspectives on it um i had a guy do a report this year this is real real thing about the portal and he asked the students in the class how many of you started college somewhere else and there were 26 people in the class and 14 raised their hand and he said, so how can we get all over somebody who wants to change schools who just also happens to be a student athlete? And a couple of student athletes in the room applauded. They weren't going into the portal, but they applauded. Here's a guy who <laughs> understands why people move. But I think seriously, I think if you want to talk about the portal, the portal is a, you know, it's a it's an outcome that could have been predicted because coaches move whenever they want. Um, they can break contracts whenever they need to, for the most part. And student-athletes were locked into these restrictive rules, and sooner or later, you know, and, and the student-athlete from the 80s across the table is nodding his head. Um, most of the former student-athletes are pretty understanding about the fact that, like, yeah, if you, know, if you don't like this coach, you don't get not get in the playing time, you have the right to move and the right to leave, and you can do it. So that's... To quote our coach now, Ryan Peden, this is the the this is the game that we coach now. This yeah. is the way it's played. It's just like people who get mad at, oh, I can't believe you played such a soft schedule. Listen, the players don't schedule the the games. You can right. only play what's in front of you, and this is the same situation for Coach Peden. He has yes. got to deal with what is in front of him, and what is in front of him is the transfer portal and NLIs. That's what that's. You know, when you played against Purdue and Iowa and Oklahoma and all those people, the chances of us playing those games now are maybe a little less than zero. Those teams are not going to play us. No, there's no win for them to play us, right? right? Because it's only a downside, and uh, and that's just the way it is, right? I mean, when we played Purdue, we played Purdue twice in Horton. I think it was twice in Horton, once in Horton, and once in Redbird. Anyway, after the second time we played them, Coach Katie, and this is like over 30 years ago, he said, no offense, folks, but I won't be back. Yeah. <laughs> this place is too tough. The fans are great. Your teams are tough. But I can't afford to go home with an L. Right, right. And and that has just gotten more uh, more severe since then. You know, uh, the, the, the top-tier teams, the big paycheck teams that, uh, one of my broadcast friends calls them. Um, they play every game they can at home, and when they go on the road, it's to be on TV or to play a you know a rivalry. The conferences have set up rivalries, so that's the game that we're in right now. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Did I answer all the questions that you had about class, Steve? You, you got it. You passed 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching that class again in the spring of 24, and if you want to sign up, maybe we could arrange for you to be there on Zoom. Yeah. Pemberton and I can be guest speakers. Yes. You definitely could be guest speakers. We have a lot of guest speakers. I could, and, I could uh, do I could talk. Like, 
Well, Bill Hancock has been has come has talked to our team via Zoom, our our class via Zoom a couple times, and he's the executive director of the, the college football playoff. Ah. And uh, so we're able to nice. we're able to bring in some people that are that are pretty good at what they're doing. Yeah. So actually, in all seriousness, I love teaching that class, and I love the fact that the students like that it's different. So here's where we turn it over to you, Tom, to close. Well, first I want to thank John and Steve and Big Pimps uh, for having me on. Uh, it's an honor. I mean, the people that have been part of this podcast and will be part of this podcast are Redbird heroes that people know. Um, my blessing in life and my career in athletics was to be able to be there and be part of and watch great things happen but more importantly great young people develop from that um you know it's it's the i for me um you know people talk about hall of fames i work with the missouri valley conference hall of fame uh every year and those the people are phenomenal of course the best of the best in the conference and when they they say to me so like okay i mean you you were around a long time you must and look my hall of fame is the Hall of Famers that I've gotten to work with. And there are dozens of them at Illinois State. So I want to thank all of them for making my trip and my experience better. Uh, but mostly I want to thank Illinois State University, uh, my 44th year on campus. And uh, it's been a real blessing. It's given me so much more than I could ever give back. So thanks, John. John, Steve, appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks, right? I mean, you were my SID. Love you to death. Thank you so much. And so, You're my with, big guy. With, with that, this has been episode 41 with Tom LaMonica. John, let's take it out.